You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box. I'm the pastor here at Midtown Church and uh, really uh, glad that you're joining us this morning. Uh, church family, just a reminder that today we're kicking off our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Very excited about this season as a church and uh, want to invite y'all to join us if you haven't decided to do that yet. And for the rest of y'all who are in and beginning that, um, I hope you're not uh, too hungry already. Now, not, not everyone is fasting from food for 21 days, though I have heard that there are a couple of people are doing that. So uh, good luck. <laughs> um, we, I want to remind you guys that we've got this devotional that we put together to help you uh, track through this time together as a church family, really guide your prayer time while you fast. you see that you can pick these up either right here at this table where you drop off a connection card at the end of service or out in the front lobby if you haven't had got one yet. We uh, pass these out to everybody last Sunday as well, but we want this in your hand. Uh, 21 different people in our church family wrote a devotional to help us uh, connect with God during this time, and uh, man, I'm just really excited about this season as a church. It's gonna be, it's gonna be really good. I think this is gonna really glorify God, and our prayer is that it will really result in us growing in a deeper hunger to know God. So, anyways, this morning we are uh, continuing our study in the Book of Jonah that we kicked off last week, and we're gonna be in chapter two today. We're kind of taking the, the Book of Jonah. Uh, one chapter at a time. It's a short little book, four chapters long. And so last week, chapter one, today, chapter two. And chapter two is a pivotal chapter in this book. And let me just show you just how pivotal it is. If you remember, the book of Jonah begins with these verses. So Jonah one, verses one through three say this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, to go to the, uh, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, which, remember from last week, was like as far the opposite direction as he could possibly go. He's like, no, I I don't think so, God. Like, I'm not interested in that. And so he rebels. He runs from God. He says no to God. And the rest of chapter 1 is just Jonah running from God and God pursuing him. But then, if you skip to chapter 3, here's how it begins. Chapter 3, verse 1, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And look at this. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And that should cause us to ask the question, what changed? Right? I mean, that's, that's, that's a complete 180 in every sense of the word. Like, he just completely changes. Well, in chapter 2, we see what changed or what brought about that heart change. And, and really, just to kind of lay it out there for you, the thing that changed is that uh, Jonah recognized that God was a God who pursues. That he pursues and you even when you run from him. And that he doesn't abandon you and he doesn't wipe his hands of you and you turn away from him, but he comes after you. And then even better news than that, because God might come after you and you think he's coming after me to like crush me or condemn me. But no, what we find and what Jonah realizes is that God wasn't after him to crush him or condemn him. That God was pursuing him in order to change him. Out of his grace and his steadfast love, God was after Jonah to change him and specifically to change this about him. 
to change his heart so that Jonah would see he can truly trust God's heart for him and so that Jonah would begin to share God's heart for others. God was pursuing Jonah to change his heart so that he would trust God's heart and share God's heart. And in chapter 2, we see Jonah kind of beginning to realize at least a part of that. And the way that Jonah began to realize that is super crazy. Because in Jonah 2, the thing that God uses to basically catch Jonah, if you will, and make him sit with this reality that this is what God's heart is for him, is that he uses a giant fish, right? So I kind of imagine what it would be like to hear this story for the very first time. Like, I mean, many of us, I know I I grew up in church. I heard this story ever since I was like a kid. And so it's like, yeah, oh yeah, giant fish. But like, maybe some of y'all are here and you've never heard the story of Jonah before. And you're like, wait, what did you say? He, He got swallowed by a giant fish? Yeah, um, he got swallowed by a giant fish. That's what the, how the story goes. Um, and God uses that to begin to change his heart. Now, if, <laughs> if you hear that, it would make sense. It would be very understandable. It would actually be weird if you didn't think this. It, it, you, would, you should think, um, okay, hmm, what kind of story is this, right? Like, uh, you know, swallowed by a giant fish. He, he lives for three days in the belly of this fish, and, like, then he's changed. Like, what? So this is clearly a make-believe story, right? I mean, that's what we would think. And so last Sunday, I told you that I was going to give a little time to the question of what do we do with this book? What kind of story is it? And so I want to dive into that for a little bit this morning, and then we're going to come out and actually spend some time in chapter 2. So um, let's, let's see how this goes. Let's take the question, what kind of story is the book of Jonah? Let me tell you, there are three kind of wide, widely held views on this book. The first widely held view is that the book of Jonah, the best way I know how to put it, is that it's man-made and made up. It's just complete you know, fabrication uh, originating with some guy, right? In this sense, the book of Jonah would be similar to uh, Homer's Odyssey, right? So in this way, like where it's seen as an ancient and entertaining story that includes a person's interactions with a god, or in Homer's case, the gods, but there's nothing more to it than that. It's just a, a work of fiction. Now, to point to the obvious here, if that's your view on the book of Jonah, then there's nothing in this book that you should put any stock into, right? I mean, like, there's no reason to believe that the author's view of the God of Israel is any more realistic or true than just any other person's imagination of what a deity might be like, all right? And so if you have that view, then you can read Jonah as entertainment, but it's not, don't, don't buy into anything it says about what God's heart is like, because this is just someone's imagination. Now, let me just uh, make kind of probably an obvious statement, but uh, that is not the, the view that I have, right? And it's not orthodox Christianity to believe that uh, the book of Jonah is just uh, a man-made fictional story. Um, and so we believe that orthodox, and I say we, I mean by orthodox Christianity holds to the concept that all of Scripture, all 66 books of the Bible are inspired by God, that the source of what we have is God, not man, 
It's not man's ideas or imagination what God's like. It actually comes from God, God's revelation to us about who he is and what he's like and what he's doing in the world. And I don't have time to get into a defense of inspiration of Scripture, but um, if you are curious about that or you want to study that, I would, I would recommend maybe even picking up one of the books on our table out in the front. Uh, I don't know what we call that now. Lobby area? Um, there's a book by Greg Gilbert that's called Why Trust the Bible. Short little read. Great, just kind of primer on this topic of why trust the Bible. Why do, you, why do we believe that it's inspired word of God? You might want to pick that up. But that's, that's one view, okay? Man-made, made up. Second view. Second view, widely held, is this. That the book of Jonah is inspired by God and a parable or an allegory. And in this view, you would say that um, it's inspired, uh, the, God inspired the author of Jonah to write a parable that accurately and truthful, truthfully reveals what God is like. And so in this view, Jonah is very similar to Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, which is made, which if you're not familiar with that, was a made-up story that Jesus told in Luke 15 that communicated the truth of what God the Father's heart is like. The events of the parable that Jesus told, the prodigal son, those events actually never happened. However, the truth they convey is God's revelation to us regarding his heart. Now, I want you to hear this. Many Orthodox Christians hold to this view. This is an Orthodox view. This is you could still have this view. Hold a high, uh, hold the Scriptures up with this, you know, high with this high sense of like this is from the word. Of, this is the word of God. And yet you read Jonah as a parable or an allegory. My guess is that there's a number of people in our church family who hold to this view, and that's completely cool. Um, I don't have time to get into all the reasons that people view Jonah this way, but let me try to give you a couple. Um, sometimes, or a lot of people view uh, the book of Jonah as a parable because, one, the whole fish part, because it's really weird. And if you see this as a parable, then you just see the fish part as a literary device to make a point, and it just, it's easy to explain. Uh, another reason why people hold to this as being a parable, and this is really a, a, a better reason, is that... Um, Jonah is one of 12 uh, books written by uh, prophets in the old, contained in the Old Testament. It's minor prophets. So there's 12 minor prophets. Jonah is one of them. And Jonah is, this is interesting, Jonah's the only one that's fully just a narrative. And so if you read the other minor prophets, they don't at all read like the book of Jonah. And so people have thought, well, maybe Jonah is meant to, in story form, in a parable story, uh, form, communicate the overall message of the minor prophets. And here, this is pretty interesting, the overall message of the minor prophets is basically this. If you're going to sum it up kind of broad strokes, is that in the minor prophets, they start off by calling out God's people for failing to follow God. Instead, they've turned away from God. And then the prophets warned the people, if you do not turn back to God, then you will be captured and you will be brought into exile. And then they tell the people, but even though your sin is great, God's steadfast covenant love is greater. And he will keep his promise to his people and he will retain a remnant of you and bring, restore you 
back to him and bring you back to the land. That's basically the message of all the minor prophets. And if you hold Jonah up to that message, it really correlates in the sense of in a parable form, you have, here's Jonah running away from God. God, as a result, kind of captures him and in a sense exiles him through this fish and then restores Jonah to himself. And so like say, okay, this story, it just communicates with the other minor prophets through a different way that God is revealing to his people to call them back to himself. Okay, that's interesting. And that could be true. And if that is true, this is what the book of Jonah is, then what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it means. It, it means it's from God and it truly communicates God's heart. And we would do well to study it and to take what we learn from it and, and hold it as truth and apply it to what we know of God's heart and what it reveals in our own heart. Just like you would with the story of the prodigal son. So if that view is right, it's a good thing that we're studying this because we've got a lot to learn from it. There's one more view, and that is the widely held view that uh, Jonah is also inspired by God and is a record of a true historical event. So in this view, again, God inspired the author of Jonah to put down on paper something that actually took place that revealed his heart. And, you know, for full disclosure, this is my personal view on the book of Jonah. You don't have to agree with me, but that just let you know, that's, this is where I land. And um, let me give you a couple reasons why. One is, um, it's because Jonah, as we saw last week, was actually a historical figure. Uh, Jonah of Amittai shows up, not just in the book of Jonah, but also in 2 Kings chapter 14. And that he was a prophet serving with King Jeroboam II. And that's of note because most or really all other parables that you see in Scripture are uh, made up. Like every part of it's made up. There's no, it doesn't start with an actual person and then tell a story. It's all just a story. Well, here's an actual historical figure. So that's, that's of note for me. But the main reason why I hold to this being a God-inspired record of a historical occurrence is because it seems, and I could be wrong, I'm not trying to be dogmatic here, but it seems to me that Jesus believed that this story actually happened. You see, because Jesus in both Matthew 12 and in Matthew 16 speaks about Jonah. And when he's speaking about Jonah, he says some pretty interesting, strong things. In both cases, he's speaking to religious leaders of his day who disbelieved that Jesus was uh, uh, from God or God himself. And so they're asking him for a sign of his divinity. And Jonah said, I mean, Jesus says, hey, the only sign that you're going to be given is the sign of Jonah. And when he says that, he's speaking, he actually connects that statement Two, that Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. And he's saying, when I die and I spend three days in the grave, that's your sign that I truly am God. Now, if Jonah didn't actually spend three days in a fish, if it's just a made-up story, then that sign, that is a sign, just loses some of its punch. Now, he could just be referring to the parable that they're familiar with and said, that, that I'm actually going to do. But it just feels like it loses a little bit of a spot. It seems like Jesus was saying, that actually happened, and this is a sign 
that I am who I am. But to take it just a step further than that, not only does he say the sign of Jonah, but he also says in that conversation in Matthew 12 to these disbelieving religious leaders, he says to them, and in that day of your judgment, the people of Nineveh that Jonah preached to centuries earlier, they will rise up and condemn you for your lack of belief. Now, that's super intriguing to me because if Jonah never preached to any Ninevites and they never repented, as we'll see that they do in the next chapter, then what is Jesus saying? It seems like he's just, like, that seems like a really de- deceiving kind of statement to make, that, that one day these guys will rise up and judge you, religious leaders, for your lack of belief. If that's not actually going to happen, then that seems to to be, put it really bluntly, it feels like Jesus is just lying or at best exaggerating something. And, or he's actually speaking the truth. Ninevites truly repented. It's a historical event. And one day they will rise up and condemn those religious leaders who didn't believe. So that's where I land. That's why, uh, at least a little bit of why. But, of course, the issue with that is, well, what do you do with the fish? Because, you know... Uh, it swallows Jonah for <laughs> he lives in it. Super weird. Um, and personally for me, I, yeah, this is probably really unfair, but that just doesn't trip me up. <laughs> because if, if you believe there's a God that created everything and has all power, uh, he can insert himself into the natural order supernaturally to make stuff happen. He certainly has the power to do that. And so I think that that's what explains the fish. It's just a miracle, and you have to chalk it up as a miracle. There's no physical way that Jonah is swallowed by fish and spends three days and three nights in his belly and lives. It's just a miracle. And honestly, when it, as far as miracles go, it's not the hardest miracle for me to believe in the Bible, right? I mean, as Christians, our entire uh, faith rests on a miracle, the miracle that Jesus was God in flesh who lived, died, was buried, and then on the third day rose again. It's like, how wild is that? Like, that is the real miracle. And in doing so, that he would have made the way for us to be reconciled to God through his death on our pla- by our place and promised full restoration to God. Like, all of that. Like, that's mind-blowing miracle. But if God could do that, then he could do keep Jonah alive in the belly of a fish. So that's where I am. I think that uh, it's, you know, I don't, just don't have our time believing that God had the ability to have Jonah survive being swallowed by a fish. Instead, what I find is much harder to believe is that uh, the God who has the power to do whatever he wants wanted to extend grace to the violent Ninevites and to his rebellious prophet. That is what I find hard to believe. But amazingly, that's what we see God doing in Jonah. And so whether you believe this is a parable or a historical account, that is what we would say by the inspiration of the Spirit, what God reveals about himself. That he is a gracious God that pursues us even when we run from him. And like I said, he pursues us not to condemn us, but to change us, changing us to more fully trust his heart towards us. So you got freedom, where to land on how you read 
Jonah, a you know, parable or historical account. But either way, we've got so much to learn about God's heart from here. And so let's finally uh, dive in to chapter 2. I like saying dive in every time we're talking in Jonah. I'm going to do that every week. Um, and so we're going to actually begin really with the last verse of chapter 1, which is where we left off last week. And if you remember, uh, what had happened up to that point was that Jonah was, had just gotten thrown into the sea, right? God had been pursuing him, and, and the storm, and the sailors throw him into the sea to make the storm cease. And if you, if you just, didn't, again, didn't know anything about the book of Jonah and had stopped there, you would just assume, okay, and then Jonah died because he's dead in the water. Like, that's what you would expect. He's thrown in the sea. But because God is not pursuing Jonah to crush him or to kill him, but to change him, and teach him that Jonah can trust God's heart for him. Here's what happened next. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, now, now hear this. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Um, now, if, if that doesn't highlight just how far Jonah's heart was from trusting God, I, I don't know what does. Like, the guy was really angry with God. He hadn't, in chapter 1, he never had prayed to God. Like, God tells him to do something. He runs from God, and he will not call out to God. And then he's thrown in the water, and then he's swallowed by a fish, and then he spends apparently three days and three nights in its belly, and then he calls out, to God, now, this probably won't surprise you, but like personally, I've never been swallowed by a fish. Uh, but my guess is that it's really not pleasant. And personally, I would think my expectation would be that if I was going to be swallowed by a fish, if I saw a fish coming about to swallow me, I would think I'm about to die. I'm sh- I would be sure of it. I'm going to die. But if I was then swallowed by that fish, and I realized moments later that I was not dead, I would think, well, then death was soon to happen. But then if more moments pass, and I'm still alive, then I would really begin to get, you know, confused. And then if an hour passes, and another hour, like at some point, really, you have to think, Jonah has got to realize you know, I should be dead by now. I wonder why I'm not dead. <laughs> and then he would have, and this is conjecture. I don't know what goes on in his mind here, but like I would think that I would begin thinking, I wonder if God is keeping me alive for some reason. Because by all accounts, I should not be alive. And then he would have to wonder, why is God keeping him alive in the belly of this fish? And he ha- he had to, like, put things together, right? And say, okay, perhaps God is keeping me alive because he's not done with me yet. Perhaps he's keeping me alive because he really wants me to go to Nineveh. And then it's as if Jonah gets in a standoff with God. Like, I, again, I, I don't know for sure, but when I read this, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, it's as if at some point he's like, God, I'm not going. I'll just, I'll just sit here in this fish 
I'm waiting three days and three nights. Like Jonah would rather sleep with the fishes than go to Nineveh. Actually sleep in the fish than go to Nineveh. Was that funny? That wasn't funny? You didn't like that? I thought that was good. Man, tough crowd. Uh, just my cheesy levels. I'm way more comfortable with it than you guys are. Um, but he, I mean, he was in the standoff. Like, I, I'm not going to go. But finally, he calls out to God. Now, before we judge Jonah too harshly for just refusing to go to Nineveh, crossing his arms in the belly of the fish, will not pray, will not call out to God for three days and three nights. Absolutely, God, I will not go. I hate Nineveh. I will not do what you tell me to do. Before we judge him for that posture, let's evaluate. Is there an area in your life where you know that you're in stubborn disobedience to God? Where God has called you through his word, through the reminder of his spirit, through his people, to do something or to stop doing something. And you're like, you know, God, I'm good. I think I'm going to just keep going my own way. I'm going to run from you. I'm not going to submit to you. I will not obey you in this area. Perhaps it's an area of unforgiveness. You know there's someone that you need to forgive. But you're saying, no, I'm not going to do it. And you're, you're this standoff with God. Or perhaps it's an area where, uh, you know, an area of your life, such as in the area of money or in sex or how much time you're spending at work, where you know you're convicted. You know this is, I'm not obeying God in this area. But you're not changing. Stubborn in your disobedience. There's an old African-American hymn from the 1800s that summed Jonah up in this way. It says, Jonah was a fool and as stubborn as a mule. <laughs> and we think, yeah, he was. But man, so are we, aren't we? And when we have those areas that we will not submit to God, that we say, God, no, I'm, I'm going to, will, I will not hand this over to you. See, Jonah uh, did not trust God's heart for him. And he did not share God's heart for the Ninevites. He was stubbornly unwilling to obey God. He desperately needed a heart change. And we do too. So let me ask you, what do you think will ever bring the heart change that you and I need in order to turn to God and trust him enough to obey him? Well, I wholeheartedly believe that the answer to that question is found in Jonah's prayer that he prays from the belly of this fish. That the key to heart change, to how our own hearts can change to where we would begin to trust God's heart for us more is found right here in this prayer. So let me read it. I'm just going to read the whole thing through and then I'm going to draw out a couple things for us. Starting in verse 2, Jonah says, it says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol, meaning like the, 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 the realm of the dead or from the grave, I cried out, I, uh, I cried, and you heard my voice. If you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me, and then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple, and the waters closed in over me to take my life. And the deep surrounded me, and weeds were wrapped about my head. 
at the roots, uh, about my head at the roots of the mountains. And I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet. Yet you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Okay. As I just said, in this prayer, we're given uh, the key to heart change. We're, We're given insight into what actually has the power, the number one thing that can actually tell our hearts, convince our hearts that God can be trusted, that his heart towards us is good. Here it is. I'm going to sum up Jonah's message. It's this. God has saved me from getting what I deserve, and God has graciously given me what I do not deserve. Friends, that's the key to heart change. When you recognize that God has saved me from getting what I deserve and that God has graciously given me what I do not deserve, it will change your view of God. It will show you that you truly can trust his heart for you because he is better than you could ever hope. See, uh, Jonah thought that he was getting what he deserved. That in fact, in verse 3, he says this. He says, uh, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Which is interesting because in chapter 1, just a couple verses earlier, it was the sailors who cast him into the sea. But here, Jonah says, no, no, God, you cast me into the sea. And, and Jonah, in his understanding, and it was, it was wrong. Well, he comes to realize this, but in his understanding, the reason that God had him cast into the sea was because God was going to punish him and condemn him. That he thought, God, you had me cast in the sea so that I would die. And in Jonah's mind, that was what he deserved. He, uh, he knew that he was rebelling from the Almighty God. I mean, God had told him to do something, and he said no. And then he peaced out, and he headed to Tarshish. And he realized, like, when you offend, when you disrespect, when you disobey, the creator of the universe, the Almighty Holy One, that's not a small thing. And then again, Jonah realized, I deserve punishment. I deserve God's condemnation. I deserve to die for running from God. And he was sure that that's what he was getting when he got thrown into the sea. And he says here, uh, the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me like I'm about to drown. He tells himself in verse 4, I am driven away from God's sight. Like he was certain that that was what was happening to him. Um, verse 5, the waters close in over me to take my life, that he sank down and down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, he says. Like he was certain he was getting what he deserved. He was certain he was going to die. And then at some point in the belly of the fish, 
it clicks for him. It had to click for him. I mean, this is what brought this prayer on. He realizes, you know what? Maybe I wasn't thrown into this sea in order for God to crush me and condemn me and kill me. That maybe I was thrown in because God pursuing me wanted to help me see what he is like. That he's not out to kill me and condemn me even though I deserve that. He actually did this in order to save me, to help me see that he is my salvation. That God's heart to me is undeserved in the sense that I deserve his wrath, but instead I have received his grace and his salvation that he's chasing after me to help me understand that he truly is good and I can trust his heart for me. And so at some point he thinks, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And then he comes to this realization, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. What a beautiful verse. He says in verse 7, when my life was fading away, I remember the Lord and the prayer came to you into your holy temple. Like you heard my prayer. You hadn't abandoned me and you hadn't turned your back on me. I cried out to you and you answered. That's what he says in verse 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. That's what changed Jonah's heart. He finally realized that this is what God is like. Which means that if God doesn't give me what I deserve, the punishment, the condemnation I deserve, but instead saves me and gives me grace and his blessing that I don't deserve, then God can be trusted. If that's God's heart, if he's that good to me when I do not deserve it, then, man, of course I can trust God's heart. Of course I can trust that he's good. And so he ends his prayer with an exclamation that uh, powerfully sums up the, the whole message of the Bible, which is this. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah was saying, my salvation belongs to the Lord. I couldn't do it. I didn't deserve it. But God has done it because this is what he's like. He has saved me. And friends, I tell you, I'm completely convinced that that will change your heart as well. But it takes realizing all three of those things. If you're going to really trust that God is good, his heart for you is good, you have to come to a realization of all three of those things that Jonah realized. You have to, you have to come to a place where you realize that uh, what you actually deserve for running from God, from disobeying God, from refusing to submit to God. You have to realize that what you and what I, what we all deserve is death. Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. It's the due payment for our rebellion. And I know that's a tough pill to swallow, even for Christians. We don't like thinking about that. We're like, ah, I want to believe I'm better than that. (laughs) But listen, if you don't realize 
that what you deserved was death and God's condemnation, then the fact that God has given you grace instead will ring hollow to you. Your salvation will ring hollow to you because you'll be like, yeah, that's great, but I didn't really need it. But when you realize how desperately you need it, like Jonah did, he's, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm sinking low, I'm sinking low, I'm sinking low, I'm going to die, I did, and I'm getting what I deserve. And then God saves him. That's what leads Jonah. This is unbelievable that God would treat me this way. And it's when you recognize that too that begins to do a powerful work in your heart. So you have to realize what you deserve. And then you have to realize that God has saved you. And in particular, that he has, that salvation belongs to the Lord, that you don't bring anything to the table. So if you think that, yeah, well, it, really my salvation was a joint effort. Like God did some stuff and then I did some stuff and like we, we're good, we make a good team. Um, then it's going to ring hollow. It won't have the power to help you fully see how good God is. You didn't do anything to save you. God did it all through the sinning of his son, Jesus, God the son, dying in your place for your sins. He died the death we deserve to die. He rose again. He made the way for you to be reconciled to God. It's all grace. And when you realize the grace of your salvation, then it comes home to you. God, you are so good because I desperately needed saving and you saved me. And I couldn't save myself, but you saved me. And then you got to realize that what you've been given instead. See, not only have you been saved, but God has then heaped his incredible blessings upon you. That not only did you not get what you deserved, but you've been given all this stuff that you, all this good, these blessings that you don't deserve. I think about what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1. That God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Like when you begin to see just how gracious God is, it has this power to change your heart, friends. That's what changed Jonah's heart, and it is what can change yours. But you have to grasp all three parts of that. For it's only then that you will see just how good God is. And that will have the power to move you from running from him to running to him. With a heart that says, because I know you're good, I will obey. And then we can say, all right, God, even though I don't understand or so hard, I'll forgive him. I'll forgive her. God, I'm so scared to share the gospel with people, to tell them the good news. But God, I'll do it. You tell me, and I can trust your heart for me. So what you tell me to do is good, because you're good. And so I'll do that. God, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll start giving some of my money away. I'll start being generous. I'll start caring for the poor. So God, you tell me to do that. This is so hard, but you're good. So what you tell me to do is good. I know that you're good, because look, you saved me. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I know it. So yeah, God, tell me what to do. I'll do it. You submit the areas of your life to him when you know that his heart for you is good. That's what happens to Jonah. And uh, at the end of this passage, we're given just these 
three little in, uh, or two little insights into what uh, yeah, results from his heart change when he comes to recognize just how good God has been to him. First thing that I just point out is that what you see in him is um, uh, he uh, has a heart of thanksgiving. So verse 9 says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. See, guys, when you we realize what God has saved you from and how God has saved you and what his salvation guarantees for you, you're moved to give thanks, like Jonah does right here. And br- brothers and sisters in Christ, let me just say, uh, or ask you, when was the last time that you've reflected on your salvation to the point that you were moved to give thanks and to praise God for what he's done? Most likely, it was the last time that you really considered what you deserved and how God has saved you and how he's given you the good you don't deserve. When you do that, it will move you to give thanks as it does Jonah here. It's a sign. It's a result of heart change. And then there's another thing that results. The second thing Jonah's heart change results in is a willing obedience. As he says here, what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And most biblical scholars think that what he's referring to when he says what I have vowed is that his, he's talking about his vow as a prophet. His vow to say, God, I will deliver your message to the people you send me to. Which is what he refused to do in chapter 1. He says, no, no, what I vowed I will pay. I will actually follow through. Now hear this. Not because he thinks that he has to in order for God to be good to him but because of his realization of how good God has been to him when he did not deserve it. He says, okay, in light of my salvation, in light of how good you've been to me, I will now obey. Willingly obey. Because those are two signs, two results coming to grips with the goodness of God towards you. Your thanksgiving and willing obedience. And of course, that's what we see Jonah doing, like I referred to at the beginning of the message, chapter 3, uh, is that J- chapter 3, Jonah heads off to Nineveh. So all that said, what brought Jonah's heart change? It was God's pursuit of Jonah that led, uh, God's pursuit of Jonah that led God to saving Jonah. For through God's pursuit and salvation, Jonah realized that God's heart for him could be trusted. Now, as we're going to see as the story continues, uh, that's just stop, step one of God's uh, change project of Jonah, all right? Like Jonah trusts now. Now he trusts God's heart for him, but he is far from sharing God's heart for others. But this is step one, and this is a vital step. It has to come first. So friends, let me ask you, What about you? Do you trust God's heart for you? Or are you still running from him in an area or areas of your life? If you are, then I really implore you, uh, believe the gospel. Turn to the gospel. For that is the key to heart change, for it is the cure of our distrust of God's heart. Love what Milton Vincent says in his little book, uh, The Gospel Primer for Christians. Let me just read this for us as, we close, as I get ready to close. It says, Every time I deliberately disobey a command of God, 
is because I am in that moment doubtful as to God's true intentions in giving me that command. Does he really have my best interest at heart? Or is he withholding something from me that I would be better off having? Such questions, whether consciously asked or not, lie underneath every act of disobedience. However, the gospel changes my view of God's commandments and that it helps me see the heart of the person from whom those commandments come. When I begin my train of thought with the gospel, I realize that if God loves me enough to sacrifice his son's life for me, that if Jesus loves me enough to lay down his life for me, then he must be guided by that same love when he speaks his commandments to me. Viewing God's commands and prohibitions in this light, I can see them for what they really are, friendly signposts from a heavenly father who is seeking to love me through each directive. When controlling my thoughts as described above, the gospel cures me of my suspicion of God, thereby disposing me to walk more trustingly in the path of obedience to his commands. Friends, if you distrust God's heart, if you're suspicious of God's heart for you as Jonah was, run to the gospel. Let it kill your suspicions. See what you deserved. See what you were given instead by the God who saved you. We're going to end this morning by taking communion. Tables are open in the front and the back. Communion tables open to anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. You believe what you're taking here. We'd love for you to to use this time to remember what we've been talking about this morning. To remember the thing, the key to curing your distrust of God's heart. The thing that will help you truly understand how good he is. See, uh, Jonah, it, it took him three days in the belly of a fish. But we have something way better than that change our heart. (laughs) It's remembering that God himself spent three days in the grave for us. That after being crucified, having his body broken and his blood spilled for us, he died. He was buried. And then on the third day, he rose again. To save you and to save me from getting what we deserve, but instead in our salvation promised we good we've never deserved every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms this friends is how good God is as we take communion meditate on that till you're moved to give thanks and to willingly obey let's pray Heavenly Father God this is amazing this is what you're like God would you help us come to that realization God, will you help us just see just how incredible it is that you have saved us and the measures that you have gone through, that Jesus, you died in our place, you were buried and rose again, that we could be reconciled to God. This is incredible. God, capture our hearts with that, that we would trust you, that we would respond with thanksgiving, and Lord, that we would respond in obedience because, God, you are good. So what you say is good. May we say... Tell us what to do. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. 
If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.